Hello and welcome to another Medium of the Month. This is Season 1, Episode 8, which is going to be the season finale of Medium of the Month. And we'll boot it up again next year with a brand new season with brand new guests. But first, before we even think about what's new, let's deal with what's old. And D-Rai, Darian Acupado, is old as hell. I'm old. I'm getting there. I feel like I pinched a nerve in my back the other day. That was, that's a big moment where I'm like, oh man, I got I to gotta be stretching every day now. For all of our faithful time wasters, I think you'll remember when I talked about our night basketball game and how my shin splints were uh, literally debilitating me, like unable to walk upstairs. So I uh, I definitely think it's catching up. It's catching up. Even though we're only months apart in age, it's, it's, it's rapidly catching up to me. Yeah. It's, uh, there's small, th- it's always small things, you know, these small things. And then you find, and it's like, oh man, my life is changing. Yeah. We should have listened to, uh, Blink-182 when we could. <laughs> All the small All things. things. Uh, okay. So no music here today. We are going to be doing a waste cap edition of Medium Month, which is going to be a unique one because typically in Medium of the Month, we select one medium out of the nine that we have on the show. And then we do a deep dive into two pieces of content. But instead, I decided, hey, for the season finale, let's do a waste cap edition where me and D-Ride look back at each other's catalog of, you know, the past year and a half essentially now and uh, figure out what do we really want the other person to consume. And we narrowed it down to a few different things, but I for sure wanted two different mediums. So what we ended up doing was uh, I chose a TV series uh, known as The Vow on HBO. And he chose the movie in and out of itself on Netflix. And we cross-referenced and we recommended each other and we watched it and consumed it. And we haven't talked about it yet. And then we'll be talking about it live on air in front of you guys to have this raw discussion. Netflix or Hulu? It was in and of itself on Hulu. I'm pretty sure it's on Hulu. In and of itself it's on Hulu. He gave me a weird look so I, I, like, <laughs> while I was saying it. So I, I, I was wondering. <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, did I say the name of the show wrong? The movie? Um so as normal with these um, Medium of the Month episodes where we kind of have a spoilery topic, we're going to do a brief overview uh, of one uh, content and then the other, and then I'll make a clear spot where I say, hey, this is where we're going to talk about spoilers. We're going to uh, say, go watch these two pieces of, of content, then come back, or if you don't care about spoilers, because I think something like The Vow, you can look up all the details on Wikipedia. It's not like a you know movie it's more docu-series type style so if spoilers for the vow might be good for you to hear to kind of give you that extra edge oh yeah i want to watch it i want to see how that plays out whereas in of its and in and of itself is a little bit more they would definitely hurt your viewing uh experience if you had a lot of the finer details yeah uh i definitely i definitely think that's um it could be detrimental to your enjoyment if you do so so it was in the April 2021 episode of How to Waste Your Time where D-Rai uh, reviewed in and of itself for his movie section. And it was the October 2020 um, episode when I reviewed The Vow for my television section. Uh, do you remember anything about uh, those two instances? I know you said you didn't listen to them yet. Yeah, I really should have. But I, um, I, specifically, I think I remember talking to you about in and of the self and basically i was like oh you should watch it i'm not gonna tell you anything about it but you should watch it was my closing notes on that um and i remember you telling me about the vow and how 
just how interesting it was and like how really kind of insane it was man i re-listened to my vow um like me talking about it and reviewing it i went into so many spoilers like i, I yeah, yeah there's yeah there's some things uh that me watching it maybe i don't know i i had a i definitely felt like i had a certain lens when i started watching it yeah. I, I don't know if that was also from you because I, I know i ended up googling it and i wanted to watch it so i like did my own research on it par- prior to actually turning it on yeah, I, I listened back and I was like, what the hell? Why why did I... I'm so stupid. Why did I tell so many... I mean, I told a lot of the juiciest things about the show because I wanted to hook people, but I, I told way too many yeah. juicy things. So this spoiler-free section, we're going to be really vague. We're just going to do yeah, an I'm, overview of thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm mulling it over in my head right now how I want to kind of present it, but there, there is certain things that I would probably say like, mm, it's better to figure that out yourself. Yeah, I mean, in, like I said previously, a lot of this is online. You can find a lot of the facts just through the Wikipedia on yeah, there. Yeah, because it is, the, it is like a popular uh, court case sort of thing in the modern age. So you could have, I know my brother, um, he watched a few episodes with me and he knew about it just by being like a lot of the female, we'll get into it, but he knew about it just through watching the news cycle of it. Yeah, the the funny thing is I had there's a YouTube video that came out in 2017 and it's it said like Allison Max prom, um promoting occult videos 20 like promotional videos like 2010 to 2017 and I watched that video in 2017 and I was like damn yeah this chick's this chick's wild and then when this finally released which I think was in 2020 yeah I was like, oh, yeah, that's that YouTube video that I watched back in 2017. This, yeah. this is this is that. I guess we can get into it now, right? Yeah, yeah. let's let's go spoiler-free thoughts on The Vow. Um, so it is a pretty uh, typical um, documentary style, very uh, a lot of personal accounts and a lot of just, you know, filming in and out of people's houses and filming meetings. And there's I found that there's a... Found it interesting how much footage of the uh I'll call him the CEO for now of Nexium, which is um a company that kind of is the the center point of this entire documentary. Um or series. Um Docu series. Docu series, yeah. I've was super interested in how much footage they have of him and it's and it's as far back as like Almost like ninety nine. There, there's been cameras rolling on this guy, Keith Raniere. Keith Raniere, yeah. Um, I found that interesting, and then it also, the other characters are just um, former members of this company, um, and it follows basically their um, time of them separating themselves from the company, and how, how would you say this? Um, I guess they're exploiting of what the companies yeah they're kind of yeah exploitation of the company and what what it was and what they were doing and what ended up what they got mixed into and how it unfolds from there yeah and so that's the real brief overview um what were your thoughts of like i like this or or this is too much this or this is not enough of this what what were your general thoughts of Uh, as you watched general thoughts i thought it was very interesting um it deals a lot with blue collar crime which is something that like i don't 
it's just like a topic that I don't consume a lot of media in. Right. So that was very interesting for me. Because a lot of like the crime stuff I'm watching is like Columbine, you know, mass murder, you know, stuff that's really heavy. General crime, um, organized crime is is typically like when I, when I talk about like true crime stuff or anything like that, that's what I'm sort of looking at. And whereas like blue collar crime, which is obviously like super prevalent as well, um, kind of just doesn't, it's not as romantic, you know what I mean, as, like, other crime. Yeah, I think racketeering was the, like, uh, official... That's, yeah, that's like, a big charge that a lot of people caught. Yeah, because that's the act of acquiring a business through illegal activity. Operating a business with illegally uh, driven income or using a business to commit illegal acts. So racketeering is a real broad um, overview that a lot of cults and, like, a lot of just corrupt businesses get hit with. And it's And it's something that I guess I definitely am not familiar with. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, just not really sure how, how the racketeering really works or like, I don't know if I've like really, uh, investigated how someone could like have like a, an illegal business and do illegal business in that, in sort of that blue collar circle. Right. So kind of like learning and like this, this company ends up dealing with a lot of it, a lot of like, uh, celebrity and a lot of political, um, sort of like environments yeah so like and then also them being you know racketeering in a business that's making money illegally so that point i was very interested in because i just had never consumed anything like that before um after that as far as the actual show i think it was paced a little maybe a little slowly for me yeah Um, that's that's definitely one of my uh when i listened back that was one of my points i hit on that the middle chunk kind of drags a little bit because it gets a little bit more investigative journalism type yep. style, whereas like the f- the first three and the back three are really strong, but the middle three are just kind of yeah. Uh, you I was know. about to say like four, five, and six are are it's like it just slowed down for me. Yeah, and that makes sense. And it eventually got to the point where I was like, I basically watched it as like a podcast at that point. Like, I you don't really need to like visually. I think is another thing that bored me because it is just personal accounts and interviews and you know just old footage of stuff yeah i mean a lot of it is actually just audio like purely audio and so they have like a visualizer on screen while you're listening to just audio recording because it's like a hidden recording yeah like a hidden recording or just a a a tape recorder on a table type type of stuff like they're just documenting their meetings and you're listening on you're listening in on a meeting and there's just visuals going on in the background. So it was like after that, I'm like, okay, I can kind of watch this differently. I don't need to sit on the couch for this. I can throw it on my phone or my headphones and like do dishes and stuff like that. And from that point on, when I started doing that, I was like, okay, I'm back into this. And that's what you said. It, it goes into those final three that were really strong. I feel I feel like, yeah, that's a perfect way to describe it. Is one, two, and three are really strong. And then seven, eight, and nine are really strong in their own right. And uh, episode one, I love because it's the setup episode. It's yeah. like, it's like, how could anything go wrong with this? Like, it looks like such a good group mm-hmm. of like friends and family. And I think that's really important to have when you're introducing cults. Um, I listened to a podcast during this break time that we're on uh, that talked about Heaven's Gate, uh, mm-hmm. which is another like very prevalent primetime cult. 
and the the big thing that the narrator you know who was kind of hosting the podcast wanted to reiterate is like this could be any one of us that is part of this like don't mm-hmm. think that oh how are these people so dumb that they could be young bring into this kind of thing and be doing these stupid stuff and like what how? it doesn't start that way it starts off as the greatest group of people you've ever met and your closest friends and the people that you love and care about more than anyone else yeah towards the end of the uh series there's one character bonnie where she's mentioning like you're not stupid to fall for a cult like it you can't you can't really look at um cult members as like they were stupid at this one point and they joined a cult by accident you know what i mean it's kind of like they were saying a lot of their trust like trusted friends were all part of it so it, it felt like a good thing they were in a good thing and they probably did a lot of good things and uh the thing about about nexium is they end up like there's a lot of talk about like working through your traumas and like helping you be a better person and dealing with trauma. And I feel like that specifically as a, as a hook to drag people in is very appealing because as soon as you meet with these people and they, they talk through like, like, um, another co leader, what's her name? Salisman, Nancy, Nancy. Yeah. She was a therapist. So you'd meet with her and then she would talk through these traumas with you and you would end up trusting her a lot. And I think that's what a lot of people did. And that's how they hooked a lot of people is like, you talk to this person, you trust them and they helped you with something. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, yeah, I'd come back for another session. I'd, I would revisit this and it's helpful to me. And I'm going to repeat what you said last time I talked about the vow in uh, 2020 you said, oh, wow, this sounds like pretty much the same as there's things that these every single cult will follow. This sounds like the same thing that another cult has already done because it's true. It's, it is a formula that they follow to coerce, to seduce, not sexually, but mentally seduce you mm-hmm. into a state of, of comfort and of reliance because that's ultimately yeah, what the totally. whole entire thing is about is like you become so reliant upon these people, upon this group, upon this activity that everything, every part of your fiber, your monetary income, your joy, your happiness, your love, your affection drives from this group. Yeah. And you just, in this one specifically, you find this interesting chain of people who were manipulated by someone and then in turn start manipulating other people in the same way because they feel like it's helping them. They feel positive about it. And that's another thing about Nexium is a lot of these people are like, I'm doing good in in this world. Like, I feel like I'm doing good and I'm helping people. I think this is another big point of Nexium, where, um, like, I guess in defense of them, themselves joining it, um, was a point for them. It's like, they're actually, I do believe they're truly like out there helping certain people in certain aspects. They are helping people in other aspects. Not so much. I mean, cults are such a fine line between a religious group or even like a business and organization in this case, and then actually a damning um, group of people that are secretly destroying you. And not even like secretly, slowly. Very, very slowly. slowly. and calculated. Because the Heaven's Gate group that I referenced earlier, they had that pack suicide where they were wearing the Nike trainers and they were all wearing the same thing. Yeah, if someone pitched that to you, you'd be like, peace out, dude. Yeah, I'm not going to commit pack suicide with you guys. Yeah, and I'll take a pair of trainers, but like other than that, dude, I'm good. But what ended up happening is that group started in 1970, and they didn't commit the right. pack suicide till like 1996, I yeah, think. Yeah, exactly. 
So it was like a long time in the making. And you spent 26 years with the group, and, and Nexium wasn't that long, but still, it, Nexium's been since the early Our, 2000s. Yeah, I want to say 15, maybe yeah. more of well, years. Where like, yeah, the the one of the main guys, um, Mark Vicente, he was one of the people that left Nexium. I think he said he did 12 years. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's a good portion of your life where you're like. Yeah, just listening to people around you and trusting yourself and trusting your feelings and trusting the people around you. I mean, right now, 12 and a half years is half of our life. Yeah, truly. So if he spent half of our physical living lives right now in a group, yeah, you're going to feel like that's home. You're going to feel like that yeah. is the people that you belong with. And it's not. It's going to take so much to make you break that illusion. You know? Yeah, I can just imagine now, like, if I joined... Let's say if I like joined a, a sports league or something like that, and like we all have this um, collective uh, need to like be friends with each other and bond over this thing, like that's I feel like that's how it starts for everybody. It's like you join this thing; these people are nice to you. You have this collective uh, desire to help each other, and then twelve years down the line, you find out that you manipulated a lot of people. You were manipulated yourself. And it kind of like it opens up into this whole entire cult and things that are uh, very dark and very uh, just things that you didn't know about that were going on behind the scenes of this shell company. Yeah, I man, I, my heart goes out to, uh, you know, cult members and people who are reformed and people who don't realize because it's it's such a tough thing. It, it's all it's all about the human brain and how we react to love and how we react to uh people who take interest in us you know and also people who need because that's that's the consistent thing that we see with the vow there's people who need something there's they're always in a state of vulnerability that they feel like they need something in their life like you said nobody goes and says hey i'm going to join a cult i'm going to commit pack suicide but they say hey you believe that aliens um are our overlords that's something that i've been thinking about for 20 years you are the right group for me Mm-hmm. And then they join Heaven's Gate and they become devout members and they cut their hair so they all look the same and they they become celibate because they think that's what's right, you know? Yeah. It's because think, they yeah. need that. They need that affirmation. They need that that kind of extra thing in their life to make them feel like whole or make them feel like their life has value or purpose, really. Yeah. I think that was Heaven Gate Heaven Gate's thing where it was like a new basically taught as like a new religion. You're worshiping these aliens and like through that, you know, doing these but sort still, of pseudo religious tasks yeah it's still biblical so they're still following the bible but they believe alien overlords like brought the bible and so it's like they still have that foundry of like hey this is my religion i'm i'm also a a form of religious person but i view things a little differently than you yeah i I imagine in those early years of heaven's gate if i met one of those people i would i would probably think they're pretty fine person you know what i mean right i would i would like like anybody who devouts that much time to their religion like i have pretty high respect for that so no matter what your denomination is like if you're that committed and it's helping you that much i'd be like yeah dude go ahead go do that that's obviously good for you not psych and then he killed himself (laughs) and then that guy i met you know however long ago i realized like i'm watching the news i'm like was that was that was that the thing was that jerry was that what he's talking about jerry Jerry, come on, Jerry. Oh, there's a picture of his Jerry's dead body. Well, well, that's how, awkward. How much do you think those sneakers are going for? <laughs> those, those are great looking sneakers. 
All right, uh, so that's enough for non-spoilers of The Vow. We're going to move on to In and Of Itself. Um, you shared this with me with very uh, very little to be told, and I'm going to explain exactly what you said in the previous episode so you guys don't have to go back. Uh, D-Rai explained that it is a show that um, this man, Derek Guadino... Guad- I feel like it's, it's something, it's more Italian. It's like the D is separated. Derek Guad... Degadio. Degadio. Something, something closer D- to that. Derek De- Del Guadio. That's his name. Derek Del Guadio. Yeah. Glad we figured that one out. Um, so he, Thanks, Derek. He has an off-Broadway show where he um, performs a interactive um, it's a kind of theater experience um, that's part magic, part storytelling, part um, audience interaction, like I said. And he did it over 500 times. Um, and then he's actually, I read some interviews. He started off saying, I, I wanted this to be an experience just for the audience only. But as after about 100, 200 shows in, he said, this would be something that'd be really fun to have people also at home document. experience and document. And he said he was being selfish. He wanted it for himself. He wanted his, his yeah. own. So he edited it in a way that he got what he wanted out of it. So he actually recorded at least, I want to say 20 shows. And he splices up a lot of those shows into the movie. And I compared it to Hamilton, but Hamilton only did four shows that they filmed. This is, like I said, at least 20. So a lot of different things intertwined. Um, but it makes a lot more comprehensive story. And I think he explains it that with magic and with a lot of stuff that uh, he does in his show, people would come up to him afterwards and say, is that real? Or is, that, is this person just an actor? You know, is this audience member an actor that got interaction? Yeah. And so because you're seeing so many shows and so many different like people from the audience, you know, oh, this is not an actor. This is actually a real person that, that has to be involved in, in the show mm-hmm. and becomes like a main part of the lore. And I think that's the crazy thing is the audience is the lore. And I, I didn't realize that going in. And I think that really helped me enjoy the show a lot more that they yeah. were such a big part of it. Certain, you know, whatever we can get into the spoilers, but like there's a certain aspect that part of, that's part of the, uh, part of the audience interaction. That's like, you find out how much, how huge it is to the show and how much like it, it is like the main vein of the show and kind of the whole purpose that he did 500 shows. And it was, the entire experiment revolves around this, this thing that evolves with the show and with the 500, right. 500 showings. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, the audience is quintessential to the enjoyment and the longevity of the show, which is crazy to think about because 95%, I would say, of like New York shows have nothing to do with the audience. They have nothing, no interaction. Yeah no semblance of uh, connection and it's just you just become a passive uh, you know basically a passenger in a car and you're watching him drive you know what that's or whoever because usually it's a crew of people but because it's a one-man show he's literally the only one that's ever really on stage you know performing anything because it's a one-man show I think he really leans upon the crowd and leans upon uh, the, the environment around him and his set and his stage and everything else going on that makes it so much more bearable because I just I've thought about all the one man shows like Chris Angel or like yeah you know Carrot uh, Top Carrot so just, Top or just magic related David Copperfield like I just fig- figured those would be brutal to get through but yeah but this one is not like that at all we get and I think this is a point that I probably should have made 
before too is that that audience investment extends through the screen for sure at least for me is like i there was no way i was gonna stop this like movie before it ended and there's a total moment where i'm like looking at um abby sleeping on the couch and it's like i'm i'm ripping through this i don't care i'm I'm like so emotionally invested into it that i was like and i did feel like a a a real connection to the story and being in in turn like i i visualize myself as an audience member yeah no i definitely i definitely and, it, and there's a quintessential moment that we'll talk about in spoilers that uh, the audience has to make a choice and so it made me think to myself what choice would i have made in yeah, that situation definitely. and like what, what what would i be um I, a, a lot of it as it goes on I, I kind of deconstructed it in my head like how how is this possible what's going on behind the scenes just because that's how i kind of view it my mom was in the room with us she, she kind of thought the same way uh and steph was watching too but she was like doing some other stuff but i was surprised she liked it as far as ratings go she liked it the most out of all three of us and i was surprised mm-hmm. that I, I didn't think that something like that would be up her alley but i think she probably drew similarities from like bo burnham's inside of him kind of like deconstructing reality a little bit um, especially when it comes to the magic section, the magic section is pretty short, but, uh, he, he definitely, uh, deconstructs the magic. He definitely, mm-hmm. he tells you at the beginning, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's you who's not going to believe it. It's you as the audience who's not going to believe it. And I think that's a powerful thing because Derek is not, he does not come off as some phony magician. Uh, he really comes off as an empath. And I think that's a, a powerful thing and a powerful, positive message that you can say about his show like to have an empathetic um chauffeur empathetic yeah well yeah you just see how much care he has for right. the people like that just you know that just sat down and decided to buy a ticket to a show like how much how deeply he cares and how deeply connected he wants to get with the audience just through his show yeah and it's a small theater which is i think really helps to it it's a small oh, yeah, theater definitely. and it's a very tight intimate setting and it really adds to the, I think, overall intimacy of the whole entire project and piece. I mean, there's a reason why he could do it 500 times. It's because each show is a little bit different, and it has a little something there for him, too. Because I think he could have mm-hmm. easily ended it after, like, 100 or 200 shows. Oh, yeah, and word of mouth, like, I'm, I'm, knowing now how popular it was, like, word of mouth blew it up incredibly. Just from people like, hey, you have, like, I think it was that. It was like, hey, we have to go see the show again. Um, so like when's the when's the next time it's showing like i want to go and see this again yeah which is surprising because i read online that someone saw it four times when he was writing his review he's like this is the fourth time i've seen it and it's interesting because i'm like now that i've seen the movie if it was still it's not running anymore it it went from like 2016 to 2018 i think so he's not doing anymore but if it was still uh something that I, i could go see would i go and i think the answer is yes even though a lot of it is as we know uh, saying we don't want to spoil anything a lot of it is the first impression of everything but i think there would just be something different about being there in person and experiencing it live and i think i, I definitely would want to go see it because i feel like i especially bring someone who didn't know and just seeing yeah, their that, face i think, that would, be I think that that would be the ultimate like light uh, and the ultimate like you said purpose to to going again yeah bring your friend bring your parents yeah it would probably be really intense um but yeah I would, I could see myself at least doing that aspect if it was a show around me. Yeah, a lot of good motion. Um, I, I, I did really like it, and I appreciate uh, you kind of pushing me to see it because I right after you gave your review um, back in April, you said 
uh, hey, uh, I'm going to make you waste cap this. And I just was like, I said, don't tell me what to do. And that was funny. <laughs> it was a funny moment. Uh, but you actually did make me waste cap it. And I, and I appreciate that because it it's, a, it's a piece I've been thinking about. Uh, you're welcome, dude. It's been sitting on my mind. And uh, I, don't mention it. And I think the, the final verdict, non-spoiler, is that if I had an off-Broadway show that I had to do something by myself or with another person, I want it to be like that. I want it to be something that is engaging for the audience, something that is part of me storytelling oh, yeah. and part entertaining. Like it has everything you'd want, I think, really in a off-Broadway show. And I think it's, it's something that I totally, how I would envision me entertaining someone. I'd rather, so much rather do something like that than like stand-up comedy or just magic, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, def- I mean, maybe I would feel more connected or closer to like doing something closer to stand up but like that specifically as far as like interacting with people i think is would be the healthiest thing to like try to build a good show from is like just that that really personal connection to the audience and getting them so incredibly involved all right now at the halfway point through the show we are going to go into spoilers and we're also going to be giving our ratings so sorry if you were looking forward to the ratings you're gonna have to listen to spoilers so if you have not seen The Vow on HBO or In and of, its, in and of Itself, I'm going to keep screwing that one up, on Hulu, then you should stop and go watch them both now. If you don't care about spoilers, obviously push through them. Um, the Vow spoilers are not that important. You should listen to this if you're still not hooked. Um, but In and of Itself, you should just go watch it. It's only 90 minutes. It'll be a quick watch. Watch it, come back, listen to our spoilery thoughts and uh, maybe some of our deeper feelings. But for now, let's start off with the vow let's get into some spoiler talk so um nexium turns out to be a sexual traffic sex ring where women get branded um and have to and are coerced into having sex with keith rainier yes and i feel like it's the and i bring this up if you <laughs> you go back and listen <laughs> to how much i spoiler i i had mentioned the branding and i had mentioned how like it's the they were solderized the, the inner circle um of women yeah the uh dos dominant over submissive mm-hmm. uh yeah there was a, it was like a ritual where they're all like cauterized by a soldering iron um it, okay so what do you remember uh you said while you were watching things were like oh yeah i remember holden talking about this um or you remember from like a wikipedia page i think it was just more of like uh um, the the whole yeah like you said the DOS and like um, all of them having sex with Keith Rainier and he's know, just kind of like a scummy looking dude he's not like yeah the the one thing I I probably need to get off my chest is like I don't know if it's from my knowledge of Nexium or that I knew I was watching a cult show but he was like not charismatic like z- straight up zero charisma to me like he was a total like nerd weirdo and I couldn't listen to him talk at all and there's a lot of footage of him like coercing people like it's just like he's doing this like uh, like a a trailer i guess for like nexium as a company yeah and it's total like uh media propaganda i guess you can say of how good he is or how good the company is but i like i like couldn't listen to him he was so like just gross and annoying to me yeah i think that's the widespread opinion that he's just the worst and he's not like attractive he's not like somebody that you feel like you'd follow but 
it, it's i think it goes back to the intelligence thing people yes. learn how smart he is they hear that his iq is like 215 or whatever and they, perfect end up, IQ. They, they end up being a follower of him right for and, those reasons and and when uh when the smartest person in the world tells you that you're meaningful and you have value yeah I, okay maybe i'll think about sleeping with them or i'll follow them and uh get other people to be manipulated by them so I think it's overall just a, uh, it's a power move. It's a, it's a, it's a total power move. And he's, yeah, he's, he's the worst. He's, he's somebody that I always wondered why people followed this buggy looking guy. Yeah. Just like, like four foot two and like, <laughs> and just, just wide set. And I love that his favorite sport was volleyball because oh. I know he's terrible at it. <laughs> Like he's, he's so into it too. Every time they show up the volleyball, he's got the headband on. He's got yeah, like the short shorts, short shorts on. <laughs> and the, there's like one, maybe thirty second clip where I see him playing, and he's in front of the net. I'm like, there's no way this guy is a is a what's what's the position? Like ace, an ace. Yeah, yeah. There's no way. There's no way he's playing well there. Like you're obviously a setter. You're in the back line. Like go go receive something because you're you're taking up room in front of the net for sure like yeah I, I couldn't believe that his favorite sport was volleyball and he just makes everyone play and then like afterwards he has like a sermon with them and, yeah and then he like hits on chicks afterwards it's so so strange it just was gross he's such a gross human and like the fact that he's like this overlord and like his interaction with nancy like i just don't get how nancy uh works with him like she seems yeah. like a lot more even keeled and so the fact that she's lets a lot of this stuff go on you know so yeah, like uh kissing people on the lips oh man yeah i it give me like gross tom brady vibes where he like forces his son to come back and well, kiss him on the lips even then that's like okay i can see a father and son yeah, yeah, kissing yeah, yeah, on yeah. the lips that's fine that's fine um my dad's done it yeah i'm sure i've kissed my dad on the lips too um but like walk like a female who's you know like imagine if it was like, because there's there's couples that are married. You yeah. know what I mean. Imagine it was your spouse that just walked up to Keith and like, oh hey, hi, how you doing? Kiss on the lips. Yeah, no, strange. De- I definitely, I would love to see like red a, flag. I'd love to see like somebody like freak out, be like, whoa, what the hell was that? That's my wife, dude. That's my, you know, something like that would be entertaining. Yeah. Um, other, I think the biggest part that I kind of like wanted to that like surprised me after the fact is the charges that people got charged with. Yeah. I mean, supposedly there's going to be a part two that, that where Nancy speaks up and like, he's got like 25 years to life or something on a lot of his charges, um, which they added up and they're not, <laughs> he got sentenced to 120 years. Wow. In prison. Wow. Um, also i found interesting that they didn't go into was, um, uh, p- possession of child porn. Yeah, it was another charge he got. Which I mean, it doesn't show up in the documentary at all. But he's totally like a creepy guy, so I imagine. Yeah. No, he's he's a manipulative pedophile, like the worst type of human being. Yeah. Like he met with uh, who, who did not Gandhi, but he met with uh, uh the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama, like and just trying to like. Yeah, that convince. was yeah, that was the part of the documentary where he had already had. I think the timeline was like 2009 Yeah, where he had already had people leave right? for being like in their board members, previous board members that had left and described the company as a cult. And then he, uh, 
in his attempt to rebranding, he like, right. like set up a meeting with the Dalai Lama where they are like cracking jokes and like talking to each other, and they just filmed it all because if you're with the Dalai Lama, you're like a good guy, right? Propaganda. Yeah, no, it was it's that part was disgusting. Just like the fact that he was trying to like pull a sheet over Dalai Lama's like face to like think that yeah this is this is somebody that you should represent or someone that you should mm-hmm. uh, praise for his contributions to the world or whatever. But he's so foul. Um, the, the the part that I found interesting afterwards is I was looking it up last night. Um, a big part of the documentary is about India, who is the daughter of a famous yes. yes. Um, uh, a famous once actress actress and she's also of royal descent yes um, european royalty and so india was part of this this group uh next time she was deep she was in dos i believe uh and you know there's a lot of back and forth and they're, they're trying to reach out to her and she doesn't respond yada yada um push comes to shove she doesn't really talk in the in the documentary at all in the vow mm-hmm. she she never does until i think later that year something called seduced the India whatever story came out where she had her own thing on stars and not on HBO where she told her own side of the story. And I'm just like, because in the documentary, she seems so against it. And so like, still like, Oh, Keith's a good guy. I swear. But now, you know, Keith gets all these charges and everything. I'm sure she's like, Oh yeah, you're right. I was manipulated. Like just didn't listen to any of her family or any of like the people who actually cared about her. But now it's like, you can't go you i mean you can you can't go on record and be like oh keith is a good guy still it, you would be looked at yeah. like you're mentally deranged but i i don't know like it made me think like does india want the money like what why would she she in an interview on e she said like oh they were telling my story and i wanted to tell it for myself and i'm like okay i get that but you wouldn't be making this if it wasn't for the vow the vow was about showing like the best parts of the vow are like hey let's tell the world about this creep let's get the fbi involved let's get everyone out involved that we can and you wouldn't be doing any of this if the vow didn't exist if this footage didn't yeah, exist if these sure. people like um vince vince what's his last mark vicente thank you mark vicente if mark vicente wasn't taking this initiative with sarah and his her. wife bonnie and then uh sarah's husband what was his name nippy Great name. Nippy. Great name. Nippy's a Nippy's a guy that I'm surprised didn't knock out some people. He's a big dude. Yeah, he's like uh, they had they because there's another um, part of this a part, a chapter of Nexium that was like a men's support group, right? And I think that would probably be the the best thing to if if I were to join Nexium, that would hook me very deeply. Yeah. Is the men's support group because it, it they had like a few like decent um points in yeah. the, like early in the men's group i should say where <laughs> we're like uh that made a lot of sense like just the fact that like men are raised and they lack compassion yeah. for people and they're just taught to lack compassion yeah and and that goes back to like why why are there no f- like female school shooters like they're yeah, all yeah, young exactly. men they're all yeah. they're all boys because of the way that we're raised to deal with feelings so it's more of like a empathetic brotherhood so like, yeah, yeah there's there's definitely all throughout nexium there are little pieces and trinkets of things that seem are, appetizing are right yeah and 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 yeah are are what you want in your life you yeah. know i would love to be a part of like a group like that that yeah, but just guys equal-minded talking, yeah they're talking about talking through how you know their masculinity um inhibits so much of their like being nice to people and like having developing relationships where the basis isn't on this toxic masculinity. And then you s- later see 
the men's group just goes into full toxic masculinity and they make all the men's of all the women end up joining the men's group and they're treated like garbage. Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely treated like garbage. Cause then like second rate citizens. Yeah. They're not given names they're given numbers. Um, they're the women are like punished through physical, like they're forced to do push-ups, push-ups yeah, and like and jumping like, jacks and stuff and, uh, planks and it's just like oh okay we're we were on so we're on a good point and then we just completely missed the mark through the through the landing of you know men being uh in positions of power yeah it just just it, it became the patriarchy all over again yeah and it just was disgusting and it's and it's just crazy how every element of nexium starts off with what appears to be the best intentions what appears to be uh something that's pure and good of heart and it just devolved into disgusting manipulation and coercing and that's just what cults do that is the defining feature of a cult versus a religion of of what does it have become what is it trying to do now not where did it start what is it now yeah and then the other part that i that also wasn't mentioned is um allison mack who was well allison mack was the head of the dos where these women were um, coerced and that's where like the real sex, sex trafficker was Allison Mack was sentenced she was looking at 12 to 14 years and then she flipped and also testified against Damn. Keith yeah so she only got four years wow um, but she is in a prison currently that's crazy um, like I said Keith got 120 years I think I want to say um, Nancy I didn't really read her wiki, wiki a lot but she only got racketeering that's all she got she yeah. didn't, she didn't, she missed all of the uh, sex trafficking and attempted sex Cause she, trafficking because she wasn't part of DOS or she wasn't part of mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff. I guess she, uh, I, I think eventually she's the one that actually ran the business, right, right, the she, business side. So obviously she got the racketeering, and I think yeah, it's just racketeering, and she got, I think she served one year in prison, and then she's out on probation, I guess. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the part two is supposedly me interviewing her, so mm-hmm. I I don't know when that will release. And also Nancy's daughter, um, also pretty high member. Yeah. She was also part of DOS. Um, she also testified against Keith. Damn. So he got a lot of people to flip on him. He's that's, that's kind of crazy. a big asshole. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that it, you want to blame these people, but ultimately they are the victims. Allison Mack is as mm-hmm. disgusting as it sounds to call her a victim. At one point she was a victim turned to manipulator like you like you brought up earlier. Yeah. That just, you know, you're manipulated and then you end up ma- manipulating others. Yeah, and it all derives from Keith. Uh, but the fact that she thought it was a good idea to include like her initials and in the branding that's on these women's bodies forever. Like it's crazy. Like and it's all in their pelvis region. Like it's like so gross. It is like burning flesh. Like, yeah, too, they're mentioning about, like, how do you charge Keith with sex trafficking when a woman walked into a house full of other women and the other women held that said woman down and branded her? Like, yeah. how do you charge someone that wasn't there, but you end up realizing, oh, this is just a whole line of cult leaders that are manipulating other people? Yeah, yeah, it's... It's a wild documentary. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the seduced one. Um, when I get a chance, it's on Star, so I don't I don't know where I'm gonna watch it. Just pull up a stream probably. But, um, 
the vow was so important and the fact that they had the wherewithal to film everything to film all the phone calls there's so much footage well, yeah. and i think that's the biggest strength of the entire thing yeah because it's interesting because mark vicente is like an uh professional filmmaker so he was like when he was that 12 years he was in the cult he's like oh i gotta make a documentary about this and then he, they just ended up using all of mark's documentary footage to then convict uh keith which i think is ironic because it was like supposed to like it was ended up being centered around him the documentary um both in like in a light that was trying to show him good and then also now brought up a bunch of criminal charges on him yeah i i think it's just the fact that it's all being able to be used in this way is poetic interesting yeah justice um but ultimately it's just a wild wild ride it's a crazy ride yeah and i I, my heart goes out to those people and especially the freaking Seattle group who like thought they were doing all the good in the world. And then they get a dro- bomb dropped. Like, Hey, this is a cult. There's sex trafficking going on. You need to get out now. Like just he- hearing all of that and your oh, whole entire yeah. world gets flipped upside down. Something like that. Like m- man, my heart goes out to the good people that weren't part of all these like disgusting. Yeah, acts if that- I was a mid level and I was just like with my guy bros and we were like trying to just live better lives. And it's like, Oh, you're part of this thing that uh, uh, specifically hurt and destroyed a lot of women's a lot of women in general and you're like oh that that sucks i guess i should quit now yeah no doubt i i man just cults bro i could talk all day about cults i i think they're fascinating i think they it's it can be very difficult to like stop a cult from ever happening again just like it's i keep bringing up school shooting that's because i i listen to a uh columbine podcast too so this uh, downtime has given me a lot of reflection, a lot of content. Um, but the point I'm getting at is, is that it's, it's hard to stop cults from ever happening again. It's hard to stop um, school shooters from ever happening again. But there's things that we can do. There are actions that we can take. And I think yes. that's, that's the problem is that people are just turning a blind eye to both of those big subjects yeah. uh, that can lead to death uh well one always but cults can lead to a lot of yeah. death of, of of people suicides a lot of uh just ruining of lives yeah specifically um in not mentioning it and letting these like internal wounds fester and not kind of talking to people is exactly what causes things like this i would say and or like atrocities like that where no one can speak up no yeah. one has like a trusted person to go to there's no neutral party for people to go out and say like I feel this way or I'm hurt this way, and they just don't don't get any type of constructive feedback of their actions or their feelings. So they end up evolving into cultists or shooters. Like it's like an actual uh, infection um, that goes untreated in a lot of people. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, Let's go to a brighter place and talk about the ratings, bro. You're not going to get out of this freaking thing before we get the ratings. How how good was this cult? Zero to 100. Hey, that's a a 10 out of 10 cult, baby. Um, (laughs) So in October 2020, I gave it the rating of an 85 out of 100. After all this talk, I think that holds up, and I like that rating. What did you rate The Vow? I think I'm right there with you, brother, in 85. It's a a great show. It's a good show. Um visually like i said there's things that kind of bored me and i ended up just consuming it like a podcast and if i rated it as a podcast i'd probably give it an 85 too um the content is amazing content is extremely interesting yep and uh other than maybe some pacing that could have been i don't know how exactly 
I mean, you're trying to tell the whole story. It's yeah. it's tough. Well, I mean, in in the sense of like, if I followed a a arc of a story, yeah, there's a lull before the climax. Like that's just how you write a story. So I mean, maybe it would be interesting if they did like a like a at the end at the beginning at the end at the beginning like like in the episodes they kind jumping of back and jumping forth. back and forth made a non-linear story it, it might be a little hard to follow but i think that might make it yeah. help with the pacing issues but i, I, mean, I yeah, easier said and done yeah exactly it's very hard to write a non-linear story so i i understand them for just going through with it but other than that like it just such interesting content and cr- crazy wacky characters that you know and love yeah real people that are real human people wacky characters are just insane all right, time to move on to Hulu's In and of Itself, Derek Delgadio. Um, so now getting into spoilers, um, recommend going in blind. Otherwise, go ahead and listen in uh, if you've seen it. I love uh, the first and foremost, I want to talk about the wolf scene, the dog and the wolf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something. So behind him, my mom didn't even realize this, behind him are six different frames which yes. represent uh, the, the six different chambers of a revolver because he yes. keeps on referring to himself as the Rultista, which is a you know made-up story about how someone called him that, which is a great story. Badass nickname. But great, great name. And so one of these chambers is, he says that something about the distance between the dog and the wolf. Yes. Um, just the, re- the, the metaphor is absolutely incredible and beautiful. Yeah. It talks about when the, when the sun comes up and you're not being able to exactly see uh, you know, what, who is it, friend or foe, uh, at that distance away from you. And, you know, you have to be able to tell. And so he talks about how he was a wolf or, uh, also he's also a dog. Uh, but the, the quintessential best part of, I think the whole entire thing is he gets this recording of somebody who tells a story about, uh, basically playing a game of blackjack, no poker, playing a game of poker. Mm-hmm. And he sees the other guy's hand. And he sees, oh, you know, by accident, he's like, oh, he's bluffing. He only has, he has a, a pair of twos and he had uh, a pair of queens. So he's like, oh, I, I win. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep raising it and we're going to go back and forth. And then when, when it's time to show, I'm going to get all this money. And then, you know, he reveals and uh, obviously the guy beat him. He had a pair of kings and he's like, well, I, I knew what I saw. Like, how did I make the mistake? And I love the animation during that portion. And I love the, he has a, a quote saying, yeah, I, uh, as, as soon as I thought about it, I knew that he was the devil and I wanted to be just like him. Yeah. And that was like such a powerful moment of the show and kind of s- central to uh, the storytelling aspect that Derek does throughout it. Um, and I think that that moment alone is so special that I feel like makes this film worth it. You know, makes because the, there's no I don't think there's any animation. There's no TV screens in the actual like theater. Yeah. So all the animation and I think maybe even a lot, of, a lot of the voiceover type stuff happens just for film. And it may be, I don't know if he tells the story about the, uh, uh, the poker player, the poker night. Um, but for, he has this recording of, of somebody talking on the phone and uh, it might just play on a speaker somewhere in the theater. But it's a very, very special moment. I think that's, that's got to be the standout for me in the whole show. Yeah, I loved all the card work. Um specifically i'm talking about like learning with that guy and like uh what was it about like him going into his game first game as a a card shark or a right. wolf and how like he tells him yeah <laughs> like like basically you're, you're you're sloppy like like yeah you're looking you're looking at your cards and here i have a gun pointed right at you yeah you know you can't you can't like take your eyes off these people yeah if you're gonna you know you're if you're gonna walk the walk you kind of have to uh you have to be good or because 
mediocre card sharks don't exist for, yeah. for a specific reason. And a, lo- a lot of that stuff is great. Like I, I love the deconstruction of the, uh, he explains all the different ways you can hold cards, the different ways you can shuffle them, mm-hmm. uh, the different ways that you can deal cards. And that's, that's ultimately where the deception comes where yeah. it's like, you think you're giving X, Y, Z to these people and you're being fair, but really you're holding the good cards for yourself. And that's yeah, like and him powerful. showing it and him actually doing it on stage. Like he, it's, it's a, it's like a high, very high level talent that yes. he ended up obscuring. Yes, it, it, it is, it is the deconstruction of magic, which is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think magic often seems like an illusion, and you see, oh, it's phony. Like the moment that magic died to me is the moment I watched Chris Angel Mind Freak on TV and For thought, sure. and thought. How is he walking on water? That's insane. People are swimming underneath him. And then I think I saw a YouTube video like maybe a month later. And it was like. He's stepping on glass. Like, yeah, it's, it's glass. It's, it's literally so, just it's glass. So clearly he's stepping on glass. And yeah, people, it's just glass panels. And people are swimming underneath the glass panels. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's. Okay. And as soon as I like kind of thought about that, I was like, damn, well, that, magic is fake. Well, that was his whole thing is that it's, you realize that it's a high level n- manipulation. Yeah, mind freak, whatever. Uh, Chris Angel, fine guy. Uh, I think awful illusionist. Like, it's, his illusions are... Yeah. But here, Derek doesn't seek to be an illusionist as much as he does seek to tell a story through, like, some of his magic. Yeah. Like, even when he puts the little um, paper boat inside the um, glass bottle, mm-hmm. uh, or when he makes the brick disappear, like, those magic acts aren't... So much to be like, whoa, where'd the brick go? But it's more like, hey, this is telling a story. Uh, and this is, this is part of the lore. Uh, and that leads me to my next part, the book. The mm-hmm. freaking book. So incredible. What a great concept. The fact that he has a book that every single uh, show, he makes somebody leave early, take the book home, write their own ending, and write their own thoughts, and then bring it back the, the next day and the next show is such a great concept the fact that book didn't get destroyed lost peed on yeah me just just scribbling a page of graphite onto there like the fact that those things didn't happen like and and the cool part is he's they scanned a lot of pages of the book and they showed them uh in the movie which i'm pretty sure later on in the um in the audience too they showed the audience other pages yeah, I don't know how much the audience got to see, but the, the fact that as a movie, I, I went back afterwards when I was writing my review for my letterbox, and I paused on certain pages, and I just read them. Mm-hmm. And just the things these people wrote, I mean, obviously they chose the best stuff, but like the art, the things these people wrote, the concepts, the theories. Yeah, so the idea is that he... Um, says write your own ending. He's, yeah, he sets up that there's a grandiose ending to his show, um, and he randomly chooses one audience member to receive this book, but in receiving the book, you leave and miss the ending. And you are then uh, tasked to write in this book your version of the ending. And then you tell it on stage. Then you tell it on stage. Which is like, it makes me think, man, Derek wants, he wants the show to live through the audience. Like mm-hmm. he, he, and that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier when I was in the non-spoiler. He wants the audience to be almost more important than him. Mm-hmm. To be uh, cr- creating the tale. The fact that he, lets, he gives him the time. To share on stage, hey, um, tell us what you wrote from that previous day. And like like one chick references, uh, uh, this is part's going to be the most nerve-wracking because I know I'll have to read this on stage, but I'm going to try my best anyways. You know, it's just like, that's exactly what I would be thinking. Like, oh, uh, what yeah, the hell do I write actually, if I know yeah. I have to share it? The people that wrote through that, like, I know I'm, I am terrified to talk next show. 
I'm it's like physically hurting me to be up here and you see how vulnerable these people got with just like they just they just told them to write a page you yeah. know what I mean and people like spilt their guts on them right and no, it's like so intense and it's just normalized people being becoming like poets yeah truly they they it it was just like this weird like perfect formula and it, I I doubt to say like I can't say that oh one of those pages would probably be bad you know what I mean like I don't know how, how do I have the authority to say that when it's that's fair yeah when it, when people like just really took it and ran with it and it was just a perfect equation to create um just normal theater goers into like part of, like almost like a a high level artist in this art show you know what I mean. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, the other part that's big audience interaction is the letter section. So yeah. he tells right from the beginning, hey, I'm going to be telling you the truth. It's you who's not going to believe it. Yeah. And, and I, I've kind of deconstructed my mind how I think he does the letter section. Basically, he gets a member from the audience. Uh, he said, you know, everybody chooses their I am whatever. We'll get into that later, yeah. too. But uh, he says, will the gymnast come up? And then he gives them a letter. Uh, he gives them a stack of letters, and he says, choose one. They're all addressed to him because what I think it what I think happens here is that he creates a bunch of letters and he asks he digs he d- deep dives into one member that he knows is going to show up and then he asks them to write a letter or whatever and he puts he just makes a bunch of copies of this letter and, and makes them kind of gives the illusion of choice of saying hey choose one of these letters and this one letter is going to yeah. have this person so this is going to be from a friend I, or I think a this, family member this aspect I've seen it in magic a lot and it 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 is it sort of one of those tricks that like has to have this very specific type of setup yeah. where it's like you're, you give information when you go to the, uh, you uh, or unknowingly or knowingly give intimate information to either like it's disguised as the venue or you're giving it through buying your tickets or whatever. And it's just enough to where they can do some type of background work. Yeah. Like easy Google stuff, whatever. Um, and then through that, like you said, he has a stack of letters, but they probably all say the same thing. And they um, choose one. And he literally says, flip the card, flip the, the uh, envelope over, and it says, like, uncle. And like, that's a letter from your uncle. Yeah, and that's it, a letter from your uncle. And then he says, there's something magical that's going to happen. You're going to open it, and you're going to be you're find a letter that's specifically made for you, and I want you to read it out loud. And the fact that they have to read it out loud is such a powerful emotional moment because I'm sure the instructions to the family member or the friend or whoever is like, hey, write something that only the two of you would know. Because every single mm-hmm. letter seemed to have that in common because there was a bunch of different shows yeah, I'm sure and, and you splicing would, up. Well, for one, it's like typically when you buy tickets, you give them a cell phone number, and then you can just Google that cell phone number. Yeah. And if your public name is on there, then you Google your name, and then you get your siblings. Yeah. And I, I feel like that was a lot of them was like, well, yeah, the majority of them are other family members. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, that's so easy to find another family member. And like you reach out to them probably – you know, you probably reached out to a few different people in their family. Yeah. Especially to find some like deep, deep cuts for like some yeah. friends or something. And you're like, talked hey, to in a while. yeah, these two people, they're cousins, but they, as ch- as children, they were extremely close, but now one moved away. You know what I mean? That I feel like that's like a typical family story that happens. Yeah. That ends up coming up in these letters. It's still a powerful moment. And they're the, the people reading that on stage are in disbelief. They think, how did you get this? And yeah. it becomes magical for them. They become like little children on stage he's telling them the truth that this is a letter from your uncle, but they cannot believe it. And yeah. just like he said, you won't be able to believe it. And it, it's true. He creates an atmosphere of magic on stage 
of, of wonder and awe for these people. And so it brings them to tears. It makes them emotional. It makes them feel things. And I think the, the fact that you can make, even as an audience or someone at home, you kind of feel these words that as this person reads this book, or this letter. Yeah, just specifically because they are, um, I can, I can, me personally, because I know the trick, I can disband all of the trick and just recognize that like this man wanted audience members to go and connect with other people. So like, that's why he did this just to further um, show how much he cared about the audience that he gave this, he reopened this connection they have with their family members or anything like that. So the beginning of the show, you choose one thing. I am blank. What would you choose? Yeah, this is hard. I, um, first you can say I am, you know, maybe something that you saw someone else choose and then come up with something that, uh, you would choose that maybe not be up there. Yeah. So yeah, like, like you said, when these people are you know, like getting ushered to their seats, there's this big wall of like, uh, post-it notes or index cards that have a phrase. I am something. I, I read online that one of them on the wall is I am racist. And he said on one show, someone did choose that. Interesting. Because a lot of it is being truthful to yourself or just having fun. Because like I'm a ninja, he referenced that could just be a fun one. Yeah. Uh, or you can say like I am a giver. I am a uh, friend. I am a brother. I am a journalist. Yeah. I, I like those ones like friend. They're, ve- they're very broad. So right. like I, I probably end up leaning towards something like that. Like brother, son. Um. Yeah. See, uh, I I think I would let everyone else choose. I would. And, yeah, I would definitely sit back and really like ponder a few of them, and then whatever's kind of left over, and I I probably choose from there because I feel like a lot of that, people. That, that's a that's an easier avenue to be true to yourself. Right. Is with, like, yeah, like if I saw like I am a brother up there, it's like yeah, I can. I'm a brother. I can relate to that. Um, but like there might be another one where it's like, Oh, that's really true to me. Uh, I don't know if I can grab that right now. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think as far as things that I've heard, I, I think I, I liked, uh, I liked journalist. Um, I liked, I mean, artist is so broad. I think, mo- I think 90% of mankind's probably an artist in one way or another. Yeah. Um, but I, I think personally, man, I, I, I want something that, is just symbolic of, you know, of compassion, of love, of, uh, yeah. Like I'm a lover, I think was one. Yeah. Um, caretaker, caretaker, something that, uh, would really emulate me being truth to myself, you know? Cause I think mm-hmm. that's a, the, the climax of the show that what really happens after the person has to leave and write their own ending, what really happens is he says, everyone who feels like they chose something that was true to yourself, stand up. Yeah. And he makes everyone stand up that, you know, chose something that, that's meaningful. And then he tells them what it is they, they chose. Uh, this could be easily done with an earpiece or something. And just. Yeah, there's cameras recording cameras, where people yeah. um, took the index card. So I, that, that's another thing. It's like, I know how they do this. Right. Like, there's one way that you have to do it. And it's like, it's not. I don't consider it invasive or um, trickery. No, I I, find, I just think it's a mechanism of getting to this point where yeah, we're at, where sh- showing emotion because really that's what it is. Yeah, it's the people know what they chose, and and I'm sure the people can figure out. Oh, you know what I chose too, but you telling me I am a failure. You know, yeah, that's um, that's just such a powerful like 
like moment that especially if it's your if you went in blind and not knowing that mm-hmm. you you would think man i think that might be what it was maybe the first showing i go to i pick something broad and brother sibling whatever and kind of see how it plays out but then the second showing i'd be like i would probably end up choosing like one of my like more true emotions like i'm yeah i am angry or i am sad or i am whatever um I am anxious would probably be a good one. I am a good time. Yeah. I'm a party animal. I am um, a mustache twirler. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of those second viewings is where people like would truly get, um, would try to choose something that is very, that is much more closer to them than uh, I am a ninja. You're a freaking nerd. I thought it was weird when he, uh, he looked at that one girl and he said, you are a basic ass bitch. <laughs> and then she sat down and she just nodded her head and she like smiled and nodded her head and like tears started coming out of her face yeah, I am. and I am. She, she took a t- sip from her starbucks and she said yeah yeah um did it was it surprising to see like bill gates and uh david blaine in the audience it felt a little gross seeing bill gates after everything he's kind of been accused of you know maybe could have cut him out but um yeah david blaine was cool because i think his was my brother yeah and i thought that was a powerful moment because I love David Blaine, so yeah. Because he could easily have chosen musician, like a yeah, yeah, illusionist, illusionist or magician. Um, and he ended up like he was. Yeah, that was a cool moment. Tim Gunn was in the audience too. Yeah, Project Runway designers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, overall, I I really liked the experience. I think it's super unique, and it, just like I said, bottom line, it's something that I would want to do. It, it's great storytelling. Yeah, I, I was just thinking there's so much of the story that we, like, we actually like didn't even get into. Yeah. But I don't think it's necessary. Not either. necessary. Because, I mean, the, the the biggest thing is it's it's those six different um, bullets, basically, that he's, he's loading his life up with, and eventually he shoots. And um, you, think he, you think he cries like that every show? Man, you know, that would be take an emotional toll. He does look like a sad boy. I think the crazy part is I, I read some of the reviews on Letterboxd. A lot of them are positive, but a lot of them are negative. Like really? some of the vocal, like even though the rating's really high, I think it's like a 3.8 out of five stars. Some of the vocal, um, like people who are saying stuff about it, they're like, oh, it's so cliche. It's disgusting. Or he's manipulating people and like... He's he's got such fake. He shows two emotions the entire what a, show. What a attention or that I talk about his whole life like that for sixty minutes. <laughs> it's it's literally some of the stuff is like that. I'm like, do you not understand like what a theater performance is? Like, do you not get that? Like, he's like, oh, there's so much of him in it. Yeah, I wish there was another character. He could at least bounce a few lines off of. But it's like you're buying a ticket and watching a one man right. show. So right. it's like you, it's, you it has his name on the of, bill. You got to kind of figure that it, it's. You know, Derek Delgadio's one-man show. Like, what else is it going to be about yeah. besides Derek? Yeah, I think a lot of people just didn't like theater that much. But we're, we're a little bit more refined. Yes, our taste a little bit higher than mm. others. And uh, that makes us better people, actually. Mm, yes, high quality. Okay. So, in April of 2021, D-Rag gave it the rating of 87 out of 100. Does that rating stick? I, would, I think I would go I think I'd go to 90 now. 90. In peace. Because I don't even know what my criticisms of it were. And like thinking of it now, I think I have a, a nice little rose rose tinted glasses on, and it's like, oh, I I super enjoyed that. Yeah, you didn't know you super enjoyed that, so ninety. Bumping D Rez rating up to a ninety. Uh, I'm gonna give it a rating of a eighty three. I think it was a great piece. Um, I think 
I, I, I love so many different parts of it. The, like I said, the, the storytelling is immaculate. Like just the way that everything flows. The mix uh, of mediums. The mix of mediums. Yeah, I like, I like some of the um, art aspect of it all. Uh, like especially the animation was cool. Some people complained about that, but I thought the animation was really cool. Um, I think the, the part where it kind of falls short for me are the elephant story. That's a big part of it where he talks about, you know, seeing something from different angles. That part just kind of felt cliche yeah. to me. Four, like, four blind men find an elephant. Yeah. It's and like, then it's okay, like, well, yeah. they call you an elephant. So that's what you are. You're an elephant. That's your name. So that, that part was kind of cliche. I love that a bunch of stereotypical New Yorkers went to watch the show. <laughs> Bro, an elephant. I can, I know what an elephant is. If I touched it, if I, I, if my eyes were closed, I know what a, F an elephant is. I touch that trunk. I'd say, uh, I'd say, this isn't a snake. This is a big old trunk right here. Let me slip from it. <laughs> Bro, I, I've seen Nat Geo so many times. I keep it running in the house. I know what a freaking elephant feels like. Planet Earth on repeat. <laughs> I love the BBC. Uh, yeah, so 83, great stuff. Uh, there's a couple, I think, part segments that, that just drag a little bit and a little, like I said, cliche. Uh, I think there's some really, really cool, unique aspects of it. The fact that at the end he shows that the the gold brick that disappears actually ends up on the avenue that he tells the audience. Oh yeah, that was great. Like the fact that he has a runner go out right after the the brick disappears and just go find the brick. Yeah, de- deliver the the runner delivers the brick to that corner, that cross street, so that it, people can discover it and really. Find yeah, I it think there. there's just I think there's just somebody driving around like a. He's got a good team. Yeah, there's there's someone just sitting in the city while the show's going on, waiting to like. Yeah. Where do you want me to put the brick? Oh yeah, maybe like three or four people. Because if it's like we're yeah. talking New York here, New so York it's like, big. You could be like on the other side of town. It's like I'm not get, I'm not get, I can't get there. Ta- taxi, take yeah. me to the corner of. Yeah. Yada and yada, and like yeah, seeing people like take Instagram pictures with the brick, I think is a, another one of those things that's like it was genius word of mouth. Because you're like a brick, a picture of a brick, Andy put a picture of his a, a brick yeah what the hell is going on he found here? it on north on the north side he just put, took a picture of a brick and put it on instagram what's all that about get out of town um yeah good good stuff man good stuff it, it was a great uh podcast it's been too long yeah it feels good feels good it's good to be back in the saddle um baby claire is sleeping right now uh but it's good to be back um i think we can still we can still manage some shows we're gonna record again in january the january 2021 episode will be our, our first time back officially. How, how are you doing with uh, the upcoming episode? Do you feel yourself too much now? Because the last episode was October. That was our yeah. last episode. I'm, I'm pretty thankful of the break just because I can, I can focus on watching stuff that I like. I, I don't have to feel like I'm, uh, it's homework, I guess. So I can like, I can get back into that sense of like, oh, I'm watching this for fun. Right. And right. then in turn, I ended up watching new stuff for fun. And it's like, oh, I can that was I I can use that. That's that's content for the show. Wait, that was content. I thought I was taking a break from the show, but I'm still working. Man, I I am I I've got too many games to talk about. I played a bunch of games. Yeah, how, how's that going, Papa? You just I, sitting next to a sleeping baby playing games all day? Well, I I did the night I did night feedings, so I'm oh, I'm the up. night shift. I'm the night shift guy. So while the baby is sleeping, I'm staying up because I'm gonna feed it the next time, right? So I played a bunch of games during the nighttime, and so I've. I, I'm gonna. I might have to talk about two or three different games in the, in the next episode. That's a little. Uh, that's what we call in the uh, entertainment business a hook for you. <laughs> gotcha, sucker. And this has been season one of Medium of the Month. Uh, season two is gonna be coming back strong. A lot of really good guests, and maybe even one or two recurring guests from the previous season. 
hopefully we'll be able to do the full 10 episodes of medium of the month in this year of 2020, the year of our Lord, 2021. Uh, but you know, eight, eight to 10 episodes you can expect from season two. And I think, uh, y'all are going to really enjoy it. You have folks at home. Yeah. Well, um, we gotta start designing a brand. Yeah. Medium of the month probably should have its own logo. But I mean, here's the thing, guys. Just keep keep playing keep playing our videos on repeat our, our podcast, so that way we can get some ad revenue, and that way we can afford to pay someone to yeah. to make a new logo. New co-hosts of Medium of the Month now get a brand when they come in. We're gonna hold you down, right on your <laughs> right on your butt cheek. It's gonna say M O T M. We'll put our we'll put all our initials in there later. Wouldn't we'll sign it with a kiss. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. Stop. In the name of.